Hey, hey, what up? It's Podcast Rebellion. We are back at it again here in the Davis McCord State Farm Studio. I'm your host, Zach Berry. Joining me as always, Benjamin Woodhouse, Nicholas Carr. We are here before we jump into a couple of topics that we are going to cover tonight. I do want to remind you, as we have become accustomed to doing with our new sponsor, that uh, if you're looking for good neighbor service and surprisingly great insurance rates, look no further than State Farm and Davis McCord. He is your one-stop shop in Tennessee and Mississippi for the service you deserve at the price you want. So stop looking around. State Farm agent Davis McCord is ready to help. Call 901-755-6110 for your surprisingly great rates today. Gentlemen, welcome. What's up? I was on mute again. Glad to be here. And oh, we're, we're all back. We're all back. Mid-season form. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so we, we're going to talk basketball. We're going to get to it. Um, I know the people that are clamoring to uh, discuss Ole Miss Hoops and uh, Thursday's game against South Carolina at Bridgestone Arena here in Nashville. Uh, stand by. Might be trying to go. We'll see. Um, kind of weird getting a credential with media because you can't really do much, but still going to try to finagle my way into the arena to uh, hopefully enjoy W. But before that, I, I wanted to uh, ask y'all, we're in the off season for college football, but uh, Stuart Mandel did a uh, mailbag on The Athletic. Um, typically no free ads on this show, but The Athletic is great. It's very cheap. I highly recommend everybody uh, subscribe. It's, it's, it's good content. Um, he had a mailbag that uh, asked, uh, I guess, for him to, um, or I guess, so here, here's what it says. Last week, Tavon Austin, um, West Virginia legend Tavon Austin, uh, YouTube uh, sensation, released his top 10 most exciting players of all time. Um, it says, despite not having anyone on there who played before 2000, his list was also not great. Uh, listing the top 10 most exciting players of all time seems incredibly hard. So who's on your list of top 10 most exciting players since you started covering the sport professionally? That is from Tom in Chicago. Um uh, so here is what Stuart Mandel came up with, and we can briefly touch on this and uh, see uh, who we agree with, disagree with, and who they left off. Uh, so Stuart Mandel, number one, Michael Vick. Number two, Reggie Bush. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Number three, Johnny Manziel. Four, Vince Young. Five, Cam Newton. Six, Christian McCaffrey. Seven, Lamar Jackson. Eight, he's got Pat White slash Steve Slayton. Nine Percy Harvin, mm. ten Tavon Austin. Um, he said he also considered Tim Tebow, which fart noise to that. Saquon Barkley, Denard Robinson, DeAnthony Thomas, and Devontae Smith making it in there. Um, before I throw it to you guys, I'll, I'll just briefly scanning as I was reading that. Don't really disagree at all there. Can you read off the top five again for me? Top five. Um, and I, he didn't specify if this was like in order of who he thinks is most exciting. Um, but top five is Michael Vick, Reggie Bush, Johnny Menzel, Vince Young, Cam Newton. Um, yeah. Or, v- excitement? I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I think I would probably put 
Reggie Bush and Johnny Football ahead of Michael Fitz. No, 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 no. Oh, man. I'm not talking about in terms of like natural ability, but I don't know anybody was exciting as Johnny Football, especially his redshirt freshman year, sophomore year, whatever year he won the Heisman. I'll say incredible. I'll say this really quick. I'm on record as saying the single most impressive player that I've ever seen in person is Cam Newton. But since this is labeled as exciting, I would probably have Cam right in that five spot. Cam was was exciting at times, but for the most part, it was just methodical and he was just unstoppable. But like I agree. But, I completely agree. But like I think he's the best player on the list. Yeah. But he may not be the most well, exciting. Well if we're going with exciting then I would I would bump Saquon Barkley up there because to me he was I mean, he was electric whenever he got loose at Penn State. I mean, we're talking Turn exciting. Kicks. Yeah, I mean, the, the Saquon Barkley is 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 exciting and dynamic of a player as there's been in college football in the last few years. I mean, he's uh, yeah. certainly much more exciting than a wide receiver just because of his size. I mean, the guy's got tree trunk thighs. And what he did at Penn State on a team that you know didn't really have a quarterback, didn't really have much of a way of wide receivers was pretty impressive. I think that that top three is really strong. I mean, Vic single-handedly took Virginia Tech to the national title and had them in that game with Florida State into the fourth quarter. They just kind of ran out of gas and couldn't cover um, Peter Warwick. But, I mean, Reggie Bush is probably the single most exciting and most explosive player I've ever seen. Um, Yeah. I mean, I agree. Man, Manzel's right there. I mean, he some of the stuff that he did was just like backyard football, you know, like flag football type stuff. Um, Vince, maybe, maybe it, I'm maybe I'm. I was going to say Vy might be a little high based on what he did against USC in that one game. Yeah, a lot of Cam in, in the way he played, just very methodical. Yeah, I agree. Um, very, very similar. There. Yeah, I mean, Tavon Austin makes the top 10. I mean, he was great. Once Dana Holgerson put him at running back late in that year, I mean, he absolutely just obliterated Oklahoma in that game and then in the bowl game against Clemson, destroyed them. Uh, I mean, Pat White and Steve Slayton were so much fun. I was heartbroken when they lost is there, to Pitt. Is there a time like what's the first he is he calling us like the last 20 years so he 30 years or are you just saying most exciting so Stuart period? Mandel he specified in here that he started covering I guess professionally started covering football professionally in 98 so he's a little limited so did he miss Randy Moss by a year that was the yeah. guy that I was going to mention because the Mother City Bowl was in his, 97 his last year was 97 Randy Moss was one of the best, I mean, I, I still think that he is, I've said this before, I think he is like Le, what LeBron is to Jordan. I think Randy is to Jerry Rice. Like, I, I honestly think that's that, a pretty good comparison. That he is like a new age, like different type of breed, different type of body receiver that like, I don't think we'll ever see again. He's the best receiver ever. I'd, I still don't know how Ole Miss covered him in the Motor City Bowl. I mean, he still got his, but it's just amazing to me that he didn't go off for like 400 yards in that game. Um, uh, some of the guys that I, I'm trying to think of other people. I mean, you can go back and 
obviously talk about some of the other guys that like Ladanian Tomlinson, I think was electric. I remember watching some of those games when, when TCU was in the whack and he would just shred people. Um, he would have been pre Mandel too, wouldn't he? Yeah, that's well, was that? I can't remember. That's probably right his, at the turn of the century. He, he probably right, played right there. In I was thinking Ricky Williams. Oh man. Ricky Williams was, ooh. That was um, that him, him playing running back was not safe for work. Yeah, yeah, he was a stud. Um, he was on Game Breaker '98. Remember that game? PlayStation? <laughs> yeah, that um, was back when Texas still had the mesh uniforms. Yeah, I was trying to think of anybody else. It's a really good Eric list. Crouch at Nebraska was Ooh, very exciting yeah. player. Um, I mean, I know they got housed in the national title, but anybody would have by that Miami team. Yeah, I mean, if, if Fiesta Bowl, whatever that was. If you want to go defense, man, I mean, speaking of Miami, I mean, take your pick with Ed Reed or Sean Taylor. I yep. mean, Sean Taylor, rest in peace, like the fucking goat. And then Ed Reed. Santana just, Moss was exciting in college. Yeah. That Miami team um, had two players on it that almost went to Ole Miss in uh, Frank Gore and Roscoe Parrish. That, that, uh, that 2003 Ole Miss team is a little different with those two. To say the least. Yeah, Frank Gore is still in the league. His son is in college now, which is wild. Plays at USM, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that. Oh, there's just been a lot of exciting players, you know. You, yeah, that's a really solid they, they list. Didn't, he didn't even put Devonte Smith in the top ten. Good on him for not being recency biased like mm-hmm. that. It's a pretty balanced list. Um, I mean, Lamar Jackson is at seven. I mean, L- Lamar Jackson was. Must see TV that Heisman year. I mean that that eleven a.m. game when they just whipped Florida State was wild. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I I really don't have any arguments. That's a great list. So, all right, real quick before we get into basketball, um, we would be remiss if we didn't discuss uh, less miles. Uh, getting the boot at Kansas because he's a scumbag. And then uh, Jeff Long also got the boot today. No longer. Also a scumbag. Let's, I mean, he he got hired, you know, Petrino at Arkansas. He's hired Les Miles, which, I mean, either he didn't do his due diligence or he didn't care. And we had a friend, Derek, that texted us today and said that uh, Kansas has done more in 48 hours about all this than LSU has done in, you know, 48 years. Which is so true. I mean, Kansas. I mean, they they saw a problem. They acknowledged it. They 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 acknowledged they screwed up, and they moved on from both of those guys. I mean, Jeff Long's career is essentially over. I think the last big three coaches. I just saw a stat. The last big three coaches he's hired are Bielema, um, Long. I mean, excuse me, Bielema, Miles, and then the the head coach at Arkansas. They were thirty five and sixty in their time at those places under long. I mean, they're just, they're terrible. So all right, good for them for moving on. Let's, um, let's talk about this with LSU for a second. I mean, please. When, when are they, they're not going to, well, let's not even say the question. Let's say the statement. They will not get in trouble. No, it's Mm -hmm. unbelievable how they just get skirting around it. Their president. He has some tie to them. Which you know, his son-in-law was the athletic director or something, Joe Oliva. Or he was there before 
he was he was with the NCAA. But I mean, it it it, it still. I mean, at some point, you still have to acknowledge that 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 they exist and that what they're doing is is wrong. Here, I mean, it's not just that they are like morally wrong and that they covered up like rape and sexual assault and sexual harassment uh you know in the lsu's football program they also have stolen money from yeah. the children's hospital in the lsu program <laughs> and also were making strong ass offers to basketball players so it's like yeah. it's like three of the worst scandals you can think of in the last decade and they're all three at the same school dude will wade is on fbi wiretaps <laughs> and they uh, the, just untouchable. It's ridiculous. I mean, I I was scanning over some of the articles about what they've done at Our Lady of the Lake, and I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars stolen that they were just you know essentially posing as they were gift cards to cancer patients. I mean, yeah, the just how morally wrong it is is one thing. But then giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to recruits, parents, um, recruits, legal guardians to just recruits in general. I mean, it's insane. Um, So Mark Emmer was at LSU from 99 to 2004. So, I mean, what what is it if that was going on then? Who's to say it wasn't? Are are we? I'm sure it was. Are we really blind enough to say, oh, well, this started in the last five years? The Lady like, of the Lake really? stuff, I know for a fact. If it, if it's, I mean, they didn't start in the last five years. Now, obviously, Will Wade was not there in 1999, and the, the football culture may have been different. I mean, that was under Saban. So I will say that it's very probable that they didn't have people raping women and getting it covered it up under Saban. But, I mean, the Lady of the Lake stuff – yeah, I'm talking more of that. Yeah, Orgeron ain't smart enough to start that, and neither is Les Miles. That stuff's been going on. Yeah. I mean, do y'all think Alabama cheats? Of course. So I'm sure that Nick Saban benefited from it in the same way that Les Miles and Ed Orgeron well, both are. Well, you got to look at sure it. It becomes even bigger story if the chancellor, the the commissioner, you know, executive director of the NCAA, Mark Emmert, knew about it then. And then became the CEO of the NCAA. Right. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like now you have the very face of your entire organization, your entire association, who is the chancellor of a, of a school who is now has huge scandals going on, by the way, that are not being covered by ESPN or the media, period. At all. And um, it's, it's frankly ridiculous. It's like bizarro world. That, that, that yeah, it is. About. It's like, oh, well, they're just the lovable Cajuns, right? I mean, that's what it is. It's, that's just their culture. That's what people yeah. will say. They just talk funny. Well, would y'all say that the LSU story that came out in the last 10 days is the biggest sexual violence story in college athletics since Penn State? I think so. Yeah. And it, to me, there was like two articles about it, and then we're done. Oh, I mean, there there wasn't any like – you didn't see any of the national guys on Twitter making jokes or um, going after LSU and, and calling for their head. I mean – we we dealt with that with you know Pat Forty and Dan Wolken and and all of those guys when you know Laramie Tunsil had a rental car for an extra week and uh, you know his stepdad got seven hundred dollars. Uh, I mean this right here. I mean you've got whatever the dude's name is, um, John Paul Funes, Funnies, however the hell you say his last name. He was 
sentenced in October 2019. He reported to prison in December of that year. He paid more than 796 grand in court-ordered restitution, pled guilty to wire fraud and money laundering. Um, he's now on supervised release for two years after completing his 33-month sentence. Um, he admitted to stealing gift cards meant for cancer patients, flying family and friends to LSU and New Orleans Saints football games on charter flights labeled as, quote, outbound patient transports and sending money to people who did little to no work for the Our Lady of the Lake Foundation. Uh, his fraudulent activities occurred over a seven-year period beginning in 2012, um, including incentives and other benefits. He paid more than three hundred fifty grand in 2017 by the foundation. Or he was paid more. So he got paid six figures. Um, he falsified dozens of payment, uh, payment vouchers, created fictitious records to disguise. I mean, so this is like layers to this cheating through a cancer hospital that they're just, you know, this is the one thing like with the NCAA is just going to say, well, this, this isn't really our business because he's already paid, you know, he's done his time and the, that's what they'll lean on and nothing will happen. And it's ridiculous because this kind of stuff is going to continue to happen. Really good college football players are going to continue to go to LSU. And it's just a joke that this is just so black and white, plain to see. And um, they're just going to get away with it. And it's just a fucking joke. So, yeah, I've never seen, like I said, I've never seen anything like it. I just... I can't believe that there's so little discourse around it. And I don't, you know, I, 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 mean, I wish I could say that they'll get what's coming to them, but I don't know that they will. I mean, listen to this. So you know, it says prosecutors, uh, prosecutors alleged funds submitted vouchers to pay home medical care for a children's hospital patient. Then he sent checks totaling 107 grand to an unnamed Florida resident and the person's daughter. Neither were patients at the hospital, but funds had a close relationship with their family. The pair identified in court documents only as individuals a and B then sent about 63 grand back to funds. A source close to the case speaking on condition of, uh, and an enemy because they weren't authorized to speak about the case publicly said those persons are the mother and sister of former LSU quarterback Rohan Davey. Like, <laughs> come on. Are we, are, we, are we, I mean, are we serious? I mean. Well, Rohan Davey played at LSU in like 98. Yeah, yeah I mean, no, he, I wasn't, he wasn't I mean, there. It's... He wasn't there when the alleged payments were made. But then you've got, you know, he submitted and approved dozens of yeah, payments to another individual. Like, who, quote, did little to no work for the foundation, but to whom funds wanted to provide financial assistance, including an individual C who received about 180 grand. That 180 grand went to James Alexander, the father of then LSU offensive lineman Vidal Alexander, a source close to the case who spoke on condition of anonymity has confirmed. Vidal Alexander was a four-year starter from 2012 to 2016. I mean, there mm -hmm. it is. So are they are you funneling money through a children's cancer hospital? Because who's going to audit the children's cancer hospital? Yeah, I mean, that's right. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, well, nobody's going to audit this place, you know? Yeah. Um, so why don't we just use this as our as our vessel? I mean, what a joke. Um, 
All right, so real quick, we'll take our break here from our other sponsors. When we come back, we'll talk Ole Miss basketball as they take on South Carolina on Thursday. Got some interesting stats to throw at you. Um, Potential bracket buster according to some metrics. So hang tight. We'll be right back. It's Zach again, Podcast Rebellion, to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show. If you like New Orleans-inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments Part of the Kelly English Restaurant Group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Hours in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your almost grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now. And you've got your lunch specials 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford, if you're looking to get some libations going, be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, Go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe an anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something the place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in Taylor, Mississippi. And be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both. And be sure to check out the rooftop bar, which is super awesome. has some great views of downtown Memphis, of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. So celebrate with that Healing Station Bourbon, a very small batch High Rye Bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Healing Station stands alone in its category of high rye bourbons. So you could do that or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend. And then you can wind down with that Healing Station afterwards. So like we always say, Ask your, pa- ask, ask your package store where you can find Healing Station by Old Dominic 
And as always, OD encourages you to share SIP responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, and inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. And we are back here on Podcast Rebellion. No really uh, good way to segue out of that, but we're going to move into some more positive, upbeat conversations about Ole Miss basketball taking on South Carolina. Probably today, by the time you're listening to this, uh, late night tip, probably going to start around 8.45, 9 o'clock. They're the last game of Thursday. Uh, are some, some interesting things here um, at The Athletic. Um, Be lucky to start at 9, not to interrupt you. Probably, yeah. I mean depending on how that second-to-last game is. Um, Peter Keating of The Athletic wrote a, a piece about bracket uh, bracket breakers. Um, they use uh, – uh, Nick, you might be familiar with this. I believe it's an analytics um, service or maybe just some kind of algorithm or a statistical model that they use called Slingshot. Um, they use it to help find upsets in March, Cinderella's and underdogs that – they think can uh, do some damage. Um, So this is from the article on the athletic by Peter Keating. It says um, our slingshot statistical model begins by creating a set of power rankings, rating every division one team by its margin of victory and strength of schedule. Moving on down, it says uh, that this lets us say things like Ole Miss is not only the 50th best team in the country, but the rebels have the best chance of any on the bubble team to take down a high seed. Ole Miss forces turnovers on 23.6% of opponent possessions. That's 10th in the country, according to Ken Palm. And they grab 34.4% of its own missed shots, 23rd best. And they play at a very slow tempo. Uh, this combination uh, that they uh, this combination uh, leads them to estimate that it would amp up their strength by a whopping 8.6 points per 100 possessions in a long shot versus overdog scenario. So uh, if, that is, Ole Miss can make it into the big dance. So obviously that's the question. Ole Miss has to win against South Carolina, and they, I think they have to beat LSU uh, in Game 2 in Nashville. What, what, what's, what's y'all's vibe heading into this game, and do you think that two wins would be enough? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, I've looked at it a lot. I mean, kept keeping up with, you know, who all is on the bubble and who all needs to lose. Tonight um, – so this Wednesday night, Xavier lost a a, I mean, oh. a heartbreaker to Butler and probably is going to push them out of the NCAA tournament. Most people have had them maybe the last team in and probably, honestly, at this point, maybe off the bubble. It's a bad loss. Looking at it, I mean, things have kind of opened up. The teams that we needed to not win games have, have not won some games. And some of the teams ahead of us have, have, have not you know done too well in their conference tournaments. I think beating LSU on Friday is – going to put Ole Miss pretty safely in. I mean, at that point, you're probably going to have kind of a free shot against maybe an Arkansas or Missouri on Saturday. 
uh, to, for a chance to really lock yourselves in. But I mean, South Carolina's one thirty three in the net, so that's a Q three win. That's not going to do anything for you. But LSU is top forty, I think, in the net. So that's going to guarantee a Q one win. At that point, the resume is just better than other comparable teams. So I think LSU, you know, winning that second game. I think puts you in there pretty safely. I think you'd go in probably in the last four, but I don't think you'd be the last team or two in there. I really think you'd be pretty safely in at that point. I agree. Well, I guess it depends on if there are any like bracket busters. All throughout. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if Memphis goes out and wins the AAC, then you may be in a little more trouble, but. Yeah, you I mean, the need, longer Duke sticks around, was Duke going to make it all the way? You know, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you yeah. need so, you need yeah, you know you uh, need favorites to win conference tournaments. That's right. Um, it, it's the same song every year. Every if Ole Miss makes it, if Ole Miss makes it to the semifinals of the SEC tournament, Ole Miss will have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. I really never am never comfortable unless you make the final SEC tournament when you need as much work. Or you need as you know much help as you can get, or as Ole Miss can get. It seems like every single year, um, no matter how good we feel about it, how good we think the resume is. Yes, Ole Miss has some great wins, but Ole Miss also lost to Georgia twice. Yeah, and and what happens if the committee this year? You can always make an argument either way, and they can make an argument to fit their narrative, right? So if they're like, "Well, we just didn't want Ole Miss in it," we would rather have, let's say, you know. School X, Wichita State. Syracuse, yeah. Syracuse, yeah. Some basketball power that they know is going to attract, you know, 500,000 viewers in New York, for example, like Syracuse or a million viewers or two million or whatever. And um, they've got a name and and the coach and everything. And I would say, like, they can fit – Ole Miss is blemished enough that – Short of winning the SEC tournament, they could fit anything in the, into their narrative for keeping Ole Miss out. Mm-hmm. Now, I do think if Ole Miss makes a semifinal, it, they've got a much better chance of getting in the tournament than being out of the tournament. That being said, Ole Miss has nobody to blame but Ole Miss if they yeah. leave out. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you know, I think while everybody should understand what Nick is saying in that, yes, you should feel good about it you should not be upset if they leave Ole Miss out either because Ole Miss did not do enough to deserve to get in. Don't lose to Georgia twice. Georgia sucks. Not yeah, only did the they killer. lose to Georgia twice, they got smoked. Yeah, it, it kills me because if you look at the, you know, you look at the schedule, you you see what Ole Miss has done against teams that are going to be in the tournament. Now, MSU's not going to be in the tournament, but you went down on the road and you beat them up pretty good. You, you beat Missouri twice. You beat Tennessee. I mean – you know, you beat – you really beat up on Missouri. I mean, those are some good wins. Those are those are good quality, t- you know, you know, NCAA tournament teams that you beat this year. And, you know, you look at it and you you lost – you didn't – you weren't even competitive really against Mississippi State in Oxford. You weren't really competitive against Vanderbilt in Nashville. And then, like you said, you laid two eggs against Georgia. And if you could go grab one of those back or the game against Florida that Ole Miss was, you know, was right in there till the end – I think that was without Romello White, if I recall correctly. You, you grab any of those those three, you know, five games I just listed, and you pull them into the win column, and then you give them a win against South Carolina. That's probably enough. And I know if you if you grab two of them, let's just say, you know, you beat MSU at home and you beat Florida, 
and then you beat South Carolina, and you're I don't even think you're a, a, a bubble team at that point. You're a lock. So it's frustrating, and I, I've said to you guys, I mean, you know, a lot of people complain about Kermit and stuff, but to me it's the same exact team with the same exact resume as we had under AK. Instead of being good offensively, we're good defensively, though. I mean, that's 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 the only difference to me. But it's the same thing. We, we're going to Nashville. How many times have you all heard, hey, we're going to Nashville, you know, we play a bad team in the first round. If we can beat this top four seed in the second round, we're probably going to make the tournament. You know, we just got to beat Tennessee. We just got to beat, you know, Arkansas. We just, Florida. Yeah, we just got to we just got to get one game against Florida on Friday. We're probably making the tournament. We just got to get to Saturday. We're probably in. So it's just the same thing every year. And it'd be nice to to do it again since you know, but what the fourth time in the last twenty years. I just I don't expect Ole Miss to beat LSU in the second game. Yeah. I so. Mean, that, that, that's not, you know, call me negative, call me whatever you want to call me. That's fine. But, like, I just don't – I don't see it. If you're curious – If you're curious on some long shots to maybe keep an eye on, also to gamble, uh, per the slingshot model, the most lethal long shots, Ole Miss is number one. This is potential 11 to 16 seeds rated from 0 to 100 based on estimated percentage change. A team has to beat an average 1 to 6 seed. Ole Miss is number one at 29.9% chance to advance. After them, you've got Georgia Tech, VCU, Seton Hall, Drake, St. John's, UC Santa Barbara, Syracuse, Abilene Christian, and then St. Bonaventure. That's so. got to be strictly based on pace of play, right? I mean, well, and two, I mean, Ole Miss has beaten more tournament teams than most teams that are going to be in that last level. I mean, you look at it, we beat Tennessee at home. Now it was a 52 50 game. But then we beat Missouri twice. We beat a Kentucky team that doesn't have a great record, but is still pretty good according to the metrics. So, I mean, I think that. We've just beaten a lot of teams that are going to be in the tournament. I, I mean, to me, mm-hmm. other than Syracuse, it's, I think we've got the most wins in that group. I think so. Basically, I think what the committee has done, I mean, they haven't said it or they haven't told anyone or told us, or this is just my assumption. They're essentially like, you know, go show us. If you can win two in your conference tournament, all right, we'll let you in. Because, like Ben said, it's it's only Ole Miss's fault for being in the situation because you lose two terrible games to Georgia, you lose some bad non-con games early, and then you lose a very winnable road game against Florida, which would have been good. Um, you lose a bad game against a bad state team at home, so they're in this position because they couldn't get it done. I mean, you you win like half of those games, and they're probably in as a fourteen fifteen seed. Um. Because I think the, you know, Nick, you mentioned the Missouri wins are good. Um, they were able to, you know, beat a Kentucky team, beat a Tennessee team. So, I mean, I don't think that this would be like a play-in game type seating if they had went, if they had won just a couple of the non-con and then half of those SEC games, we wouldn't be having this conversation. There's there's no doubt if you flip if you just flip the 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 Dayton and Wichita losses, just two of those non conference games. I mean, yeah, I think you're right there. I, I mean, I really do. But 
you know, like I said, we've been here every year in the same spot every time. But Ben, like you mentioned, beating LSU is a serious concern for me. I mean, I look at the teams we match up poorly against, and I think it's it's a pretty short list. So we match up really poorly against Alabama, and we match up really poorly against LSU. I just – I don't see it. I just don't see it. Like, I don't – you know, and – and I, I'm glad that everybody thinks that we're some big bracket buster and I would love to go to the tournament and slow the game down and, you know, find ourselves in the elite eight, you know, just get hot. I mean, there's nothing that I would enjoy more than that um, uh, short of a national championship in any of the big three sports. But we just, I don't, I, without looking at the numbers and Nick, you can probably tell me that I'm dead wrong here. We just don't seem to be very efficient. We just seem to be slow. Like, we don't really have any great shooters. We don't really have, you know, Shuler's going to have to be like the NCAA player of the tournament or the SEC player of the tournament in order for us to uh, get through LSU and then make some noise in the, the big bracket. You're dead on. I mean, we're 319th in pace of play. I mean, like looking at our wins against good teams so far this year, we beat, you know, Tennessee 52 to 50. Now, we did score some points on Missouri the first time. The second time, it was 60 to 53. So, yeah, part of it is like, is this a good team or do we just shorten the game? I mean, I think it's, it's maybe more of the second than the, than the, you know, the are we good? It's maybe more of just shortening the game. We're not efficient. I mean, we're a bad three point shooting team and we're not a great two point shooting team. But, you know, you get in a 40-minute game, you slow it down, you get some turnovers, which we're good at. And, I mean, it's – pretty gross. Yeah, I mean, you're what you'd be playing in the tournament if you're a 12 seed is a 5 seed and a 4 seed. Well, I mean, Tennessee's probably a 4 or 5 seed this year. So, we've beaten teams of that quality. It's oh, just, yeah. It's just that's the best. That's the best seed to be in. You would ra- I would rather be a 12 as an 8 Oh, there's no doubt. The eight has to play the one, and the twelve plays the four, and then the three, right? Well, I mean, we were a twelve seed in twenty, you know, was it twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen? Whenever we beat Wisconsin, and I guess it was twenty thirteen, and there was no, I mean, really no excuse that the fact that we didn't go to the Sweet Sixteen that year, none. Oh, it's set up perfectly to none. go. I mean, yeah. it was. So. You, you. I mean, that was a bracket that Ole Miss could have won. A region. Oh, yeah. Ole Miss could have won. I mean, if, so, if if Reginald Buckner's fingernail is just a little bit longer, they win that game against LaSalle. Yeah. Um, you know, a, I think we've seen some progress out of Joyner towards the end of the year. I mean, I think he's really come along, which I think we all expected him to already be there because he had a year in the program uh, off the court to kind of get there, and, and he wasn't. And then, I mean, you know, we, we know we've gotten Romello White. I, I mean, I think the team is – has has the opportunity to make the run there, really do. But you got to be LSU. For me, though, you know, March is just like a long series of close games. It is, yeah. And and however, you do need to be able to blow some teams out. And Ole Miss can't. Like Ole Miss is incapable of blowing out teams. Well, I think Ole Miss needs to blow out South Carolina. I think I think they need to come out and not screw around. And not play 40 tough minutes because they're going to have to do the same two nights in a row. So, I mean, I really think they need to come out and, and lay the clamp. We haven't even talked about South Carolina. I hate to do that to them. Because, but it's a game that if, if we are concerned about South Carolina, 
you know, the season's over. If we lose at USC, mm-hmm. it's over with. So it doesn't really matter, you know, what we do against them. At least they don't have Michael Carrera or whatever the guy's. <laughs> what was that guy's name? Thank you. I think you nailed him? it. Yeah, that dude owned us. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I, yeah. look, I think I think this team matches up well against South Carolina because South Carolina's just not good. They've been ravaged with COVID cases all year. They've had dudes that have had to sit out, guys that were just sick. Frank Martin's battled it twice. Um, I mean, like you said, Ben, like this is a game that like almost has to just leave zero doubt, and you just have to dominate and win it like you're supposed to win it and get ready for LSU. Now, it's a bad matchup, but if you're on I think if Ole Miss is on their game, if Devontae Shuler is shooting the ball well, Joyner is giving you 10 to 12, Luis Rodriguez is doing things on the defensive end, turning, you know, turnovers into points, KJ Buffin gives you 8, 10, and then if on top of all that, if Romello White is Romello White, you've got a shot because you also have to think LSU is in the tournament with all of the COVID restrictions and socially distancing, and it's not a normal SEC tournament. I mean, a lot of these teams that are safe, probably it's almost like Hoover. Like you're treating it like, yeah, let's just whatever. Like if we win, we win. If not, let's just go home and get ready for the tournament. So if you get out and thump them right before the first under eight minute timeout or something, I mean, they could just lie down. I mean, who knows? Uh, but but Ole Miss is going to have to play extremely well to to be able to handle LSU because, as y'all have both said, it's a bad matchup, and that's the exact team that if they get out and run, Ole Miss can't hang. Yeah, but uh, hey, I mean, it's there. You know, how many times have you heard Ole Miss going to Nashville with, you know, win a couple games and you're in the NCAA tournament? It's about, what, 14 mm-hmm. out of the last 20 years? Yeah, that's how it Typically is so, um, but yeah. So, Ole Miss, South Carolina, probably eight forty-five, nine o'clock Central Time. I uh, believe the game will be on SEC Network. Um, we'll see. I think that Ole Miss has a really good shot. I think the team should be motivated. I mean, hell, they're playing for their season. It's winter go home. So we'll see what kind of toughness they come out and play with. Kermit preaches that all the time. Let's see if they can uh, put the clamps down on the Gamecocks and uh, live to play another day. Do we have anything else before we uh, stop the recorder? No, I was just going to add the baseball team just better sweep this weekend. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of a bummer. Nikhazy is going to be on the shelf for a little bit, a little pectoral strain, but uh, – Possibly getting Chatney back for at least one game, maybe two. So yeah, hopefully, it's yeah, a, I, a good weekend. I think Chatney. I mean, I hate to to analyze too much about playing Belmont, but getting Chatney back will really help with um, not having whoever replaces him out there. I mean, that sounds terrible, but I mean that that's a guy that you know. I don't know if it's McCants or if it's Garrett Wood, whoever. I mean, Chatney's a huge upgrade over those guys. So having him back, you know, especially ahead of Auburn, you know, it would be good to get him back in the lineup and at the top of the lineup too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, we'll have, uh, we'll have some coverage on the site. We'll have uh, baseball, basketball, 
uh, coming to you there, redcuprebellion.com. Uh, we did launch some more merch today. Uh, we put it out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We've got a new uh, flood line, uh, no pun intended. Uh, three new items. Uh, you can go check that out at badkickdrinkingshirts.com. Uh, go check out the Red Cup Rebellion page. Buy some merch. Um, our good buddy, Eye of the South, on Twitter uh, designed those for us. They look pretty sharp. So if you want a little one-off, you know, kind of a fun concept, um, go ahead and buy a shirt. It's uh, it's pretty cool. So uh, for Ben and for Nick, I'm Zach. Thank you all for tuning in. Thanks to Davis McCord State Farm for sponsoring the show. And thank you to all of our other lovely sponsors. Until next time, y'all take care. We out. We out.